0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this playbook of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Aron Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski. And if it's your first time listening to 30 MPC, which it may be, if you don't know what a playbook is, Nick, could you please define what in the world is a playbook
1: right well armand and i happen to learn things from our guests and every 10 episodes what we do is we break down one topic related to sales sometimes it's cold calling sometimes it's best practices for cold email sometimes it's how do you show a rock star demo so we've got a special one here today armand it's not cold calling it's not cold emailing it's not knocking on your customer's door what are we talking about today We're
0: talking about cold cuts. Nick makes a really, really, really good pastrami sandwich.
1: Nick, why should people listen? Here's the deal, folks. Sometimes when you are making cold calls, sending proposals, showing demos on back-to-back-to-back meetings, you might get hungry. And the thing is, a great sales professional always keeps their body and mind fueled up. And so, if you want to learn how to get the bread extra crispy, soaked in a little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of oil a little bit of mustard, a little bit of banana peppers stacked up so you can fuel yourself during the long nights and early mornings of being a top tier salesperson, you're going to want to listen to this one. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate
0: is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. No, 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 no. You guys don't understand. The real reason we are here is because after Nick made that sandwich, he packaged it up, he put a nice stamp on it, and he sent it to his number one prospect, and he booked a meeting. And so today's playbook is all about channels that you can use for prospecting that are not email or phone. Namely, there are going to be four sections. We're going to first talk about trade shows and events. Second, we're going to talk about direct mail or gifting. Third, we're going to talk about referrals. And then fourth, we're going to talk about social, aka most of the time, LinkedIn. Alrighty, Nick, let's jump into section number one. Grab your sandwich at your trade show. We're heading into the event. When I'm heading into an event, Nick, what should I be doing prior to that event to come in 100%
1: prepared? So most salespeople waste their opportunity with trade shows and events. 95% of your success at any given trade show is going to be the things that you do in advance of the event. And the way that you're going to operate really is dictated by, are you going to get access to the attendee list or not in advance of the event? So if you can get the attendee list, let's start with the easy one. One, you better start reaching out to those people the second that you get your hands on the list because most vendors will sit on that list for a couple days and then start prospecting and first is best in this scenario. You want to start hitting people early and right away. The other thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you avoid just sending a, hey, I'm going to the Association of Podcasters event. Do you want to meet? If you put in a tiny, minuscule amount of effort to personalize the first part of that message, you will see incredible return on your message. So don't give up on the personalization. You might just say something like, hey, Armand, I saw that you were a wrestler in college. I was a wrestler also. Sometimes VPs of sales feel like they have to wrestle their reps into making cold calls. I'm emailing you about something that makes that problem go away. Would you be open to learning more at X event? So all I'm doing is I'm taking my normal problem prospecting and I'm saying, hey, instead of would you be open to learning more i'm saying would you be open to learning more or stopping by the booth at the event so what i want to do is make sure that i'm not just blasting people with hey let's meet at this event i'm doing a little bit of hey here's the problem we solve and let's meet
0: when you're doing your cta one thing that i find is extremely helpful is you have the beauty of being physically in the same place as someone else and so make your ctas super low friction when you're reaching out to these folks my personal favorite is hey I saw you're going to be at XYZ booth, right? Or I saw that AcmeCo is set up over here. Mind if I swing by at 245? Make it super, super, super low friction. Obviously, ideally, they come to you. But if you're having trouble booking meetings, there's almost no one who will say no to, hey, can I swing by you?
1: Right. Well, the other thing that I'll do is I'll say, hey, would you be open to stopping by the booth? And most people will say yes. It's sort of like a brush off. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course, I'll stop by the booth. Okay, great. Now they've responded and they've actually engaged. And so if you actually think about like the psychological principle of cognitive dissonance, because they have said yes, even if originally they didn't really intend to, you now have justification to follow up and actually schedule a meeting, whether or not that happens at the event. So if that person says yes, whether it's on the phone or via email, what you cannot do is just say, great, I'll see you there. Your goal should be to pin down a date and time while at the event. What I usually do is I cite a pretty full couple days at the event of like, hey, I've got a ton of customer meetings and I really want to make sure that I don't let you down and miss you if you stop by the booth and I'm not there. By chance, would you be able to pencil in two o'clock on Thursday? Always opt for scheduling a date and time. Won't always work, but give it a shot. The other thing you can do, they say, hey, you know, let's just try to meet at the event. Try to get their cell. And say, hey, sometimes like I'm not even checking email at this thing. If we're trying to coordinate, would you be okay with texting? And that is a great way to transition to texting with your prospect. So Nick, let's say that
0: occasionally I can't get the list or maybe my marketing team isn't giving me all the information
1: that I need. What do I do then? Here's what you want to do. And this can be a little bit controversial. You want to act like you've got the list anyway. I recently went to a trade show for law firm administrators that were part of a certain trade group. Well, you know what? I was able to find people who had that affiliation by looking at that trade group's website and looking at individual LinkedIn profiles and just act like people are going. Even if you're not certain, prospect them as if they were going to the event. If they're not going, believe me, they'll tell you. And then you can say, hey, no worries. Like, would you be open to meeting meeting virtually since you're not going to be there? If they are going, well, great. Now you have justification to book the meeting. So you shouldn't let the list be your blocker to reaching out to people who are associated with an organization. And you also should not let not having
0: a meeting booked be your blocker to going and having meaningful interactions at the event. So you should be breaking up your list into a few different buckets. The first is one pull everyone into a spreadsheet or whatever you're using to keep track of this stuff then make sure you look at the folks in your territory and go start outreaching for everyone you book a meeting with mark that in your sheet and that's on your calendar now but for everyone else we're going to talk about this in the live event they should be on your floor hunting list in other words for every minute you do not have meeting with someone live that you've pre-scheduled, you should be looking for those people on the floor actively. That means even if you book one meeting prior to going to the trade show, your goal should be to leave with 15 meetings booked by the end of the show.
1: What most people screw up at these trade shows is they sit at the booth and scroll Instagram and respond to email while they're at the trade show. And it's like, there are prospects here. They might not be coming to you, but like, walk around and go talk to people. So Armand, I've been talking a lot, which I'm known to do occasionally. I wanna ask you, are there any other best practices that we should put into the bucket of these trade shows and events?
0: Yeah, so let's say that we show up at the show, okay? We've talked about a lot of the stuff that happens before, which again, is the majority of the work. But let's say you're there. When you're having these meetings, your goal is not to go from discovery through demo, through proposal and negotiation. Okay. That is not your goal here. Your goal is to peak enough interest such that you can get into a longer meeting offline outside of the event. And so very rarely do I see these turn into hour long meetings. You usually have 15 minutes of someone's time. Maybe you'll have 30. And so there are two types of meetings that I typically see people run. The first is if you have a product that's more transactional or you don't have like a super complex SE or sales engineer motion, the first is the harbor tour motion. So for example, at PAVE, it's really easy to demo PAVE and it's really easy to show people comp data and they get really excited about it. So we're pulling people into the booth. Our goal is to just pull as many people from the floor to the booth as humanly possible. We build a rapport for five minutes. We understand how they're doing comp for five minutes. We give them a five minute harbor tour. We book a meeting for next week. That is the way that we run every single one. If you have a more consultative sale, what you're doing is you're doing that 15-minute jam split into a five-minute rapport bucket and typically like a 10-minute discovery storytelling type of bucket. Again, just enough so that they don't feel like they're being sold to, and then you wanna exit quickly in these events. My favorite way to get out is like, look, my guess is both of us need to meet a ton of people here. And the last thing you want to do is learn all about ping the entire time you're here. It sounds like there might be a there here. Do you want to set up like 30 minutes sometime next week when we're not like in the middle of this weird expo floor and we can both enjoy some of the free samples on our way out? Great. The deal is done. That's
1: your goal. You are super SDRing essentially at events. The only other thing that I will add, Armand, is you talked about like going out and seeking prospects at the trade show. In the event that you're not talking to prospects or maybe they're all at a session or something and the expo hall is kind of empty and it's just vendors, don't waste that time either. Go and talk to every single vendor who is at the show. Two things will happen. One, you'll actually start to understand the entire ecosystem in which your product slash service lives and you'll actually build relationships with folks who might be able to refer business to you in the future. You should be connecting with those folks on LinkedIn, which you also should be doing. Get some free chapstick and mints. I love getting free chapstick and mints at trade shows. Now, we've left the trade show. We've gotten on the airplane. We've flown home. I've got an endless supply of chapstick, mints, and fidget spinners. What do I do after this trade show to make sure things go in my favor?
0: Okay, so the first is you have ideally left having scheduled a bunch of meetings. So make sure those meetings keep. Typically what I do is after the trade show, I will send them some sort of follow-up email saying, hey, it was great catching up with you. I have that calendar invite on the calendar on XXYY date. Hope you get home safe. Done. That's bucket number one. That's easy. Bucket number two are the folks that you saw on the floor but you weren't able to book a meeting with live. And for those ones, you should have a dedicated sequence that you put people into every single time as quickly as humanly possible. My preference is I actually usually put a picture of myself saying, hey, I know you probably talked to 300 people. This is what I look like. And it's a fun, friendly picture of me doing a peace sign at the camera, right? That's your second bucket. And then your third bucket are the people that you couldn't find at all. And you should have a separate Third sequence that basically says, hey, I didn't catch you at the event, but this is my reason to cold outbound you. That's your post-event follow-up, Nick. Now, let's say I feel really attached to some of the people that I met, and now I want to leave the event and maybe send people some gifts. That brings us to section two of the playbook. We leave the event. What are ways that I can use gifting in prospecting outside of the world of trade shows?
1: So... Armand, when you're feeling extra generous, you're feeling your inner Santa Claus rising up, bubbling up, let's talk about a couple don'ts. There's a lot of salespeople that think the equivalent of gifting and prospecting is blasting every human being in their territory with a $5 coffee gift card and saying, would you like to drink a coffee and book a demo with me? You got to have a little bit of creativity here. And what you also don't want to do is throw a ton of money in the trash can and blast out gift cards to every buddy, humanly possible. So one of the things that we recommend is you probably want to just reserve gifting for your ATR accounts. You've got a lot of experience here, Armand, with ATR accounts. Why don't you tell me what your approach to gifting is?
0: So let's say you've got your ATR accounts. I'm typically going to pick the most important prospects on those ATR accounts. So you might be prospecting anywhere between five and ten contacts on an account. You're going to spend a lot of money on coffee and back scratchers and scented candles if you send a gift to every single one of those folks. Instead, what I prefer to do is find one really meaningful thing that I can send to the top one or two candidates on an account. So for example, if I was prospecting into Nick, and Nick was our VP of sales, I may send him a USC wrestling shirt or something along the lines of that. I'm going to send him something personalized to him. I remember Kyle Coleman early on sent a series of mugs to CROs. And the way that he described it is it was fun. It was like most CROs start their days with coffee and clary. And so do something that's personalized. Don't just mass send Starbucks gift cards because people will feel like you're bribing them to look at your product. Do something that's creative and it's personalized to them based on their LinkedIn and do this for five to 10 accounts per week, one contact per account.
1: I'm on one area that a lot of salespeople struggle with as it relates to gifting is actually operationalizing this and fitting it into their workflow, where they're like, okay, I made some cold calls, and let me send a gift to one prospect, and 22 minutes later, oh, I need to send another gift, similar to making your cold calls, similar to doing your research, similar to preparing for the next day's calls. You want to batch this. So the goal is to time block your gifting and knock it out all in one batch as opposed to sprinkling it throughout the day, you want to avoid task switching as much as possible.
0: Exactly right. And when you send these gifts, typically what I recommend is most gifting platforms have the ability that allows you to say, hey, if you accept this gift, you have to book a meeting. And so unless you love spending $50 a pop on cold emails, usually you should use that functionality. And it's pretty sweet. People get a good kick out of it. The last thing that I'll say is related to gifting, is it's not just stuff you should be using inside of prospecting. You can send gifts at every side of the sales cycle. A couple of examples include, number one, usually after you've won over a champion and they're starting to help you multi-thread, that's the first place that I love using gifting. Number two, if there's someone that I wanna get involved in the deal cycle, I may use gifting to multi-thread as well. And then lastly, number three, once we're getting to the end inside of vendor review to make someone keep us top of mind and wink, wink, make sure that our red lines get prioritized first, I'll usually send them a gift there as well. And I love calling it the bottle of wine close. Very, very, very rarely if someone accepts a bottle of wine from me at that stage in the deal, does the deal not close. The three times that someone has not accepted a bottle of wine from me, All three actually did not close, believe it or not. And so you can use it to guilt and pressure test as well.
1: You've never bought me a drink in my life. (laughs) I think you need to refer me to a new friend who might buy me a drink. Oh, and speaking of that, section number three, we're talking about referrals. This is an area that. I've heard time and time again in my sales career, oh, salespeople are leaving money on the table by not asking for referrals. Salespeople need to ask for referrals. And like, I've always struggled to operationalize this. And I think part of the reason is usually I don't know even where to find the people that I should be asking for referrals for. Armand, you put some stuff in our prep doc about where we can actually find people we can ask for referrals from.
0: Let's talk about where you find referrals. The easiest example is try to ask yourself what happens before someone buys my product and then what happens after someone buys my product. Okay, A very, very easy example here is what happens before you buy a car or what happens after you buy a car. If I'm a car salesman, I probably want someone who can help with things like car insurance, which I know I'll need to buy before I actually get the car. I'll need someone to help with things after I buy the car, like a mechanic or oil changes and whatnot. And so if I'm a car salesman, I'm going to want to know all the mechanics in the world. And so if you take that and you look at other software businesses, there are usually a million service providers around what you do.
1: So Armand, you make a good point here, right? Like when I was selling ERP software for the law firm space, there were so many like adjacent modules that hooked into my software. There was like timekeeping software and accounts payable software and business intelligence software. And it all talked to the thing that I sold, which was the central hub. And so to the point that I made earlier about going to those trade shows and making connections with these people, like you better believe that I had relationships with the consultants who helped implement the software and these tertiary software that talked to ours, if I smelled a deal for someone else, you better believe that I was sending it to them. And then the inverse was also true. And like, this might seem weird where you're like, oh, like the prospect's gonna be mad. Not really. Prospects want help finding solutions to their problem. And if you can say, you know what? It's interesting that you're looking for AP software. I've got two or three guys that I actually have a pretty good relationship with. Would you be okay if I made an introduction with you? They'd be like, yes, please, I'm begging you. Those people, those other salespeople will indeed reciprocate. The other thing that I frequently do is, believe it or not, my CEO is pretty well connected. And so one of the things that I've done with him, and actually my VP of sales also, she has a really big network in the in the law firm space where I sell. And so one of the things that I've done is I've said, hey, I actually go through their LinkedIn connections. You can go through and look at all of the people that they are connected with who are in my territory. And then all I do is I say, hey, can you help me break into this account and, and get an introduction to this person? Now... My CEO is not going to sit there and write a one-off prospecting message to somebody that he met years ago and sort of has a quasi-relationship with. So what I'm doing in this scenario is I'm actually ghostwriting the message for him. So all he has to do is review the message, make sure it's like relatively in his style, make whatever tweaks necessary and hit send. My goal is to make things as easy as possible for my execs so that they're willing to do this referral thing time and time again.
0: At the beginning of every quarter at PAVE, one of the things that we do is because we sell to HR, we get every HR person, every recruiter, and every executive at our company into a room. And then we tear through our top 100 accounts, and there are literally eight columns One for each person we've brought into the room, and it's just a checkbox. It's like, do you know someone there? And so operationalize this and make your team go to work for you. I've never seen a CEO who's connected to a company who doesn't want to help, especially at an early stage company. Figure out whatever level of the organization is appropriate for you and go put together these what we call shark week prospecting blitzes across the company. Make every other executive in the company your SDR.
1: So now when I'm asking for referrals, let's go back to that first example, Armand, where I've got somebody who's at like an adjacent company in the same space. And I see they're connected with somebody that I want to be introduced to. How should I be asking for said referral?
0: So don't just ask, who do you know? Or who could you refer me to? There are a couple reasons for this. Number one, you're putting the mental burden on your prospect to think of Who could possibly be a fit for you? And then number two, they might refer you to someone that you don't want to be referred to, or they're going to take the lowest hanging fruit. They're going to refer you to their cousin who runs a plumbing shop. Instead, your job is to make this as easy as humanly possible for them. And so my referral kit is typically as follows. Number one, when I'm prospecting my accounts, the first thing that I'm doing is I'm looking at the top contacts on every single account, and I'm looking at the second-degree connections on every single one of those accounts, and I'll pull those people into a spreadsheet. And then I have a reach-out to each of my referral partners that says, hey, I'm currently trying to reach out to this company because ABC Reason leads me to believe they could be a good fit. You're connected to X, Y, and Z person, Right. Would you be open to making a referral for me to this person? Because I think it could be a really good account and we could help them out. Here's a blurb that I send that's super casual that you can edit to make it your own language as well. And so I'm identifying the account. I'm identifying the person why we're getting referred to them. And I'm literally sending them a template message so that all they need to do is click send.
1: Well, There's a psychological principle that when you give a reason for an ask, your chances of getting a yes are so much higher. And the fact that you are including that the reason that I am asking for the referral as opposed to will you make a referral is monumental. All right, so let's finish with our favorite place in the world. You and I like to hang out at this place, Armand. No, it's not our friendly neighborhood poke shop. No, it's not the mall. Yes, it's LinkedIn. Let's talk about how we should be prospecting on LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn. Okay. So (laughs) I'm sorry, folks. I know Nick and I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn, but I'm not going to lie. We don't really love this whole... Social selling thing. The reality is, a lot of times you're selling to, I don't know, John's Plumber Shop, or you're selling to IT people who aren't on LinkedIn. And there's a very small subset of folks who can really do social selling right. And in terms of the percentage of reps who I've actually seen execute this thing correctly, very, very few. However, this does not mean you should not be prospecting on LinkedIn. So no, this is not about social selling. This is about selling on a social platform. Okay. And so Nick, let's say that I pop open my LinkedIn. My guess is I'm doing a little bit more than just pinging every single one of my connections. How do I go about figuring out who do I contact on LinkedIn?
1: Yeah. So before we even talk about who I should be contacting. Let's talk about the foundation for this, Armand, which is how I should be operationalizing this. Similar to the gifting, similar to video messaging, most salespeople, the bane of of hitting quotas existence for most salespeople is they don't operationalize things, and they do these, like, one-off, oh, I'm gonna social sell this one person, or I'm gonna LinkedIn prospect this one person. So you have to bake it into your workflow. The way that I think about this is I use a sequence when I am prospecting an individual, and when I have baked into that sequence is on day one, I have a reminder to connect with them on LinkedIn. On day seven, I have a note to engage with something that they've put out on LinkedIn. A couple days later, I have a note to engage again. A couple days later, I have a note to DM them. And then finally, I have a note to bubble up that DM to them. So what I'm not doing is connecting and pitching. What I am doing is I'm connecting and I am making a point to in-sequence engage with their stuff, leave a thoughtful comment on something that they've posted.
0: Well, one thing that's really important to note, folks, is in Nick's sequence, his fourth social interaction is probably a DM. First, it's a profile view, then it's a connection, then it's a comment or a like on their post, and so we're warming them into it. If I showed you guys my LinkedIn inbox, you would vomit. What usually happens is I literally got a connection that said, Hello, sir. I am building my LinkedIn following. Would you please write me a review? And then they followed up four times. Sir, are you willing to comply? Sir, are you still there? Sir, is this the end of us? And I'm like, dude, literally, I don't even know who you are. I have no idea who you are. And things like this happen every single day. And this is an extreme example. But usually what happens is people send me a connection request. If they're selling in the connection request. Typically, I just don't even accept it. And then the other people who put an empty one, usually they blast me with a three-paragraph message right off the bat. And I'm like, there's no reason that I would ever possibly book a meeting with this person. And so you have to ease your way into awareness on social, and your goal is to not sell someone immediately. It's to slowly creep up and increase the chances of them replying elsewhere.
1: The bar is set extremely, extremely low. And so if the person that you're prospecting into like posted an article even a year ago, go skim the article, find two sentences that you thought were valuable and comment on the post with your actual brain. Don't just say great post. Don't just like the post, comment something and try to engage with them. Your goal here is to actually stand out and show that you are somebody who thinks thoughtfully about the space. I mean, there's a reason you're making this genuine effort, but like, You're making a genuine effort to engage with their stuff and be thoughtful and not just be a complete creeper and spammer. That's one way to think about it, right? Baking in the LinkedIn prospecting social selling into your sequence. The other way to think about it is to do it backwards, which is to say, Hey, let me find folks who are active on LinkedIn and go engage with their stuff and then add them to like a separate social selling sequence. And so One of the best ways to do this is to find posts that really pop off and go viral. So if I was somebody selling in the sales space, what I might do is I might troll Armand's LinkedIn profile every now and then. And Armand might occasionally post about best practices for cold calling on his LinkedIn. Well, if I'm somebody who sells sales tech that's in the cold calling space, you better believe I would be looking at the people who comment and like and engage with his post because those are folks who... Probably want to have a conversation with about best practices for cold calling as it relates to the tech that I sell. So, what I would do is follow the big influencers. Some people call them Linfluencers in the space in which you sell. For me, that means I'm actually following a lot of like influencer attorneys. The other thing that you can do is you can search by hashtag on LinkedIn. So, if I'm selling for Pave, You guys help folks understand total benefits and compensation. I might decide to follow the hashtag compensation and see what posts really pop off with compensation. Anything to add, Armand?
0: So the last thing is if you have Sales Navigator, one of the things that you can do is for your top tier accounts, or frankly, all of your accounts, you can track them inside of Sales Nav as part of a list. And then you can set up notifications against that list. So for example, we just hired a head of sales enablement at PAVE and approximately 17 sales reps from LMS or sales enablement platforms reached out to me. And the reason for that is they saw that I hired a head of sales enablement. Okay. You can do this with job postings. If I at PAVE ever see a company that has posted a job that contains the words compensation or total rewards, I'm usually reaching out to the company about it. And so set up the most relevant triggers for your accounts in SalesNav. And that is one additional touch point that you can have. So you don't have to keep digging for research, but rather the research is surfaced to you.
1: All right. Well, we're going to finish with some like sort of unconventional, sort of controversial ones. The intent here is to give you some ideas. I'm going to start with maybe the least controversial, which is joining communities. We learned this one a couple weeks back on the show, and you need a group to join. So oftentimes, prospects will congregate in online communities. Think Slack, LinkedIn groups, Reddit facebook groups what you probably want to do is go join those groups and engage meaningfully just like we talked about with linkedin go engage with stuff in a meaningful genuine way and occasionally you might see people mention problems that you solve there's your opportunity to send a thoughtful tailored message at the worst case scenario you understand more about your space and you're a name that people start to see so go join some communities the other one that i'll add This doesn't really happen a lot post-COVID, but you've got the in-person visit. I actually used to do this when I was selling to law firms in person. One of the interesting, unique things about law firms is they all seem to, like, congregate in city centers. And so if I was flying to Seattle to go to a meeting and there was a hot prospect that I really was not able to get in touch with at a law firm a block over, I would actually just show up at the office and be like, hey, I'm here to see Armand. Nine times out of ten, they'd be like, who the heck are you? and at least I would make a connect with them. So it's called the T-visit. Go to the door to the left and the door to the right of where you are going and go prospect those accounts. All right, Armand, which ones do you have?
0: There you go. Well, here are two that we found that you probably shouldn't use as much. So the first is uh, the cold Venmo. I wouldn't cold Venmo anyone. Even if it was a penny, I've heard people like, they, they send someone two cents and they say, here's my two cents, you should take a meeting with me. There's a degree of like, uncomfortably close that that brings. And I would probably not do that one. Your goal isn't to just get a reply. It's to get a positive reply. The same thing goes for cold face timing, right? In addition to those, this one is going to be a little bit controversial because I don't love handwritten notes. Um, (laughs) Nick knows this. I personally hate writing things. And I remember I went on a blitz to write 20 handwritten cold prospecting notes, but half of the time I couldn't find the address. And then when I did, they would have replied anyways. I, I sent basically 15 notes because those were the amount of addresses that I could find. And I got a total of zero responses. It was outside of my workflow because you can't put a handwritten note into a sequence. It was just like a complete mess. And then on top of that, my right hand cramped and now I'm permanently left-handed because I wrote so many notes. And so personally, guys, I don't really do this. I prefer gifting, figure out what works for you, but not the biggest fan of handwritten notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect So that's it, folks. Top to bottom, we're going to do a quick recap of all the different things that we covered. So as a reminder, the four channels that we talked about are trade shows, direct mail, referrals, and LinkedIn. In trade shows, we talked about resetting meetings on the attendee list, and we talked about once you get to that event, you work the heck out of the floor, and you're doing quick discovery calls to set meetings for the future. For gifting, we talked about not just sending a million Starbucks gift cards, but rather using highly tailored personalized gifting for your top-tier accounts and baking that in your workflow. For referrals, we talked about finding people who do things before or after your product is there or things that plug into your product and making them your channel partners and making it easy for them to refer you by saying, this is who I need to get in front of and this is the message I'd like to send them. And then lastly, on social selling, we talked about baking this into your sequence workflow. And then of course, we talked about bottom-up prospecting using hashtags and other forms of notifications through your top list. And of course, we talked about cold Venmo's FaceTiming and then obviously joining your favorite Slack group and whatnot. So those are our different channels, folks. I hope you
1: got something out of this. But Nick, what can people help us out with? Armand, I'm so embarrassed and I'm kicking myself. We forgot one of the most important channels, which is starting a sales podcast like 30 Minutes to President's Club. Because, believe it or not, I'm going to ask you, our listeners, for a referral. Believe it or not, we have a decent following of 30 Minutes to President's Club. As of the day I'm recording this, we get around 65,000 downloads of the show every single month. And we work with some pretty incredible sales tech companies. So, if you would be so kind, if you, our esteemed listener, could find the joy, the goodwill in your heart to maybe make an introduction to a sales company that'd be interested in working with 30 Minutes to President's Club, that's how I'm prospecting this month. See, Armand, I don't even have to make any cold calls. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week in 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.